Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Political hitmen. I'm Howie Silberger, your political hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate you being here. Uh, you could call in. The numbers are on the top of the page at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. But uh, if you have a pen and paper handy, I'll give them to you anyway. In North America, 301-768-4841. In Israel, 0265-00151. So it seems like every summer, since I started doing this show, I've been doing the show a few years already, uh, it seems like every single summer, around this time of year, near the end of the summer, we have the same conversation. And it's, it's a terrible conversation to have, and we seem to do it every single year around this time of year. And that is the conversation about Jews being attacked in broad daylight in the streets of New York City. So it's happening again. So the past couple of weeks, past couple of days, past couple of hours, Jews have been attacked in broad daylight, open daylight, right in the middle of the street in New York City. Now, I remind you that New York City probably has the the most populous population of Jews, the densest population of Jews in, in the diaspora. Uh, they, they have there's a lot of Jews that live in New York. And they're being attacked openly in the middle of the street. The other day, uh, a video went viral, I'm sure some of you have seen it, uh, of two Hasidic men walking down the street in, in Williamsburg, New York, and two young kids, young, young kids, chasing after them, knocking the hats off their heads, grabbing the hats, running away with them. Uh, another one, another video that was circulating this week was uh, a Hasidic man being kicked uh, in the street and being chased into, uh, being chased into a building. Uh, just, uh, just a couple of hours ago, a couple of Jews were sprayed, again in Williamsburg, which is a predominantly Jewish area, were, were sprayed by fire extinguishers. They were attacked by fire extinguishers. The, the hate being shown to Jews is unprecedented. And it's been happening in New York for years. Uh, the attacks now are the highest level uh, of attacks on Jews in New York in decades. So, so one has to wonder what's going on. One has to wonder, why are Jews constantly being attacked in broad daylight? And apparently the people who are attacking them have no fear of retribution, no fear of, of, uh, of reprisal, no fear of, uh, uh, of, uh, of consequence. Uh, we know that New York has a, a crazy law where you commit crimes, uh, you, get, you get arrested, and then you get released right away. There's no bail in New York. So no one holds you. You're not remanded for anything. You get, you get arrested, you get released. So we know, we know that there's this craziness going on in New York, California. There's a couple of states that have this, this craziness going on where, where suddenly um, people commit halocious crimes are not, are not held. They're, they're, they're out in a couple of hours. So nobody cares about committing crimes anymore. Uh, but but we, have, we have this case where, where, where Jews are the target. And one has to wonder, why are Jews the target? Now, we know that the last time Jews were attacked in broad daylight in the middle of the street on a continuous basis, it didn't end well for the Jews. 
We know that the last time that Jews were attacked in the middle of the street, that were beaten in the middle of the street, it really didn't end well for the Jews. I know I said it twice, but I think it was worth repeating. So, so what are we supposed to do now? We, we have a problem. There, there's, there's a major problem. So, so actually, there's, there's about 100 different problems that are placed into one major problem. So what is the problem? What is what's the first one? Let, let's let's dissect this. Let's let's spend our time dissecting this. And you could join in the conversation. Call in. Uh, numbers are on the top of the page at Israel News Talk Radio. I'll give them to you anyway. 301-768-4841. In Israel, 0265-00151. Feel free to call in and join in the conversation anytime you want. Uh, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. Uh, I want your take on this anyway. So give me a call. I really don't don't be afraid to interrupt me. Just call in, interrupt me. I'd love to talk to you. So let's dissect the problems one by one. So problem number one is that Jews in the diaspora have this victimhood mentality. Now, what do I mean by victimhood mentality? And people, and you know, when I say these things, a lot of people look at me and say, oh, you're being anti-Jewish. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Uh, I say these things because I feel that this is things that have to change. We have to change this. If we don't change this in our mentality, if we don't change our outlook as to our place in society, which, by the way, North America probably doesn't exist anymore, but, but, but let's, uh, let's put that aside and say that the majority of Jews that are in North America are here by choice. They, they could be living in Israel. Whoever's in North America is in North America by choice. And if you're in North America by choice, then you feel that you have a place in society and you feel that you're comfortable in society. That's why you stay. There's no other reason to stay anywhere, anywhere you live. There's no reason to stay there if you don't feel comfortable living there. So, so Jews are too comfortable living in the diaspora. The assimilation factor has taken over, and, and Jews have become very, very comfortable living uh, amongst the non-Jews. This, this is a major problem, and this is the problem with, with, with the dispersion of Jews around the world, is that, that, that Jews tend to be chameleons. How many Jews do you know? Th- think about it for a second. How many people do you know? that have attempted extremely hard to blend into society, to blend into the, um, to blend into the aura of, uh, of, of what's going on around them. So, so we know that the assimilation rate in, uh, in the United States and in, in Canada is, uh, is, is somewhere around 58%. Of, when I say the assimilation rate, I'm talking about intermarrying Jews. So we know the death rate of the Jewish religion, the death rate of Jewish culture, it's about a 56%. It could be a little higher now, uh, but, but it was around 56%, um, uh, the last statistic I read. So we know that that's where, the, you know, where Jews are dying. This is the death of Judaism. Uh, at 56%, it can't survive very long. Uh, we know that Jews change their names because uh, they want to fit into society. A name like Goldsmith is not going to make you fit into society, so they changed their name. We know that... That that Jews, uh, you know, they 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 eat non kosher and they 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 don't keep they don't keep Shabbats they don't keep Sabbaths because they want to blend into society they want to be like everybody around them. The problem that we have, and this is problem number one. We'll go over two or three of them over the course of the show. The problem number one that we have is that Jews who care about Judaism, Jews who are committed to Judaism. Jews who are Orthodox or who, who, who have some kind of religiosity have done a really, really bad job 
teaching their community the importance of Judaism and Jewish tradition. We've done a terrible job, an unbelievably, an unbelievably bad job. If you look at other religions, uh, I'm going to say Islam, uh, just because Islam is a great example. Uh, Islam is one of those religions where, where either you're Islamic or you're not Islamic. There's, there's no in-betweens. Right? There's no gray area. And I think, I think that's pretty much the way you should be running religions. Look, God gave you a, a path to follow. God gave you a lifestyle to follow. And I, I don't think that we should be um, playing with God's word. We shouldn't be parsing God's word. And so, so in the path that we follow, we should be following the path. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to be the same level of religiosity, but, but at least we should acknowledge the fact that there's a God, there's a Torah, and that we have, that we have rules that we have to follow. Now, if you choose not to follow the rules, that's fine. I, I'm not going to judge you. It's not for me to judge you. But at the same time, the more people that choose not to follow the rules— the more people who choose to ignore the word of God, to ignore the word of Torah, are hastening the death of Judaism in the diaspora. All right, so that's problem number one. So we know that problem. That's the problem. The rabbis of the the Orthodox rabbis have done a dismal job in um, in selling religion to the masses when there are so many temptations out there, and we know that human nature uh, gravitates towards the temptations. Uh, we've done a horrible job in trying to in trying to convince our children not to jump headfirst into the temptations. It drives me crazy sometimes. I, I teach in high. I, I used to teach in high schools, and um, and some of the students that I had have friended me on Facebook after I left the school. They friended me on Facebook. They friended me on uh, Instagram, and and I watch some of the debauchery, and I see some of the debauchery that these people are are living. The debaucherous lives they're living. The, the godless, soulless lives that they are living. And it pains me. They went to a Jewish school. They paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to a Jewish North American day school. And they are living totally un-Jewish lives. So somewhere in between teaching them about Judaism, teaching them how to live as a Jew, and the practical application of living as a Jew, somewhere between one and the other, we lost we lost the message somewhere. The message got cut somewhere. So this is problem number one we have in, in the reason that we, we were getting beaten in the streets. This is problem number one. Now, I'm not blaming the victim. Of course not. The perpetrator should be arrested. Perpetrators of these crimes should be arrested and should be tried. And, and there are other factors involved. But these are some of the factors that, that we're not helping ourselves. And you see, you see when, you, when you're the victim, I, I don't like being a victim. So when you're the victim, when you're the victim of a crime, when, when you're beaten up, when something happens to you, 90% of the blame is on the person who attacks you. But if you are not doing anything to protect yourself, if you're not doing anything to make yourself stronger, if you're not doing anything to, 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 to ensure that you personally aren't getting attacked, then, then you are partially to blame for, for being the victim. If you're fighting back and you're still victimized, that's one thing. But if, you are, if, you, if you're not doing anything to even, to even mitigate the problem, then you're part of the problem. Howie Silberger, this is Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. We'll be back just after this.
political hitman. I'm Howie Silberger, your political hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. Feel free to give me a call. In North America, 301-768-4841. In Israel, 0265-00151. Those numbers are found on the top of the page at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. So, we're going over some of the reasons why, why Jews are victims and, and why Judaism is falling apart in North America. This is a common theme, I, I, and every year, around this time of year, I, I have the same conversation, because every year around this time of the year, Jews are being attacked in the streets in New York City. And it's happening again. The last couple of weeks, uh, tons, tons of Jews have been attacked already in the streets of New York. The, the government's doing nothing to protect them. The police have not really done much to, uh, to protect them. And Jews are being attacked. And we know what happened the last time Jews were attacked in the streets, and we don't want that to happen again. So just before the break, I was telling you that one of the big problems we had was that, uh, was that, that we, were a fractured, we were a fractured nation. Now, now, that's by design. I'm sure God designed it this way, that we're a fractured nation. Um, you, know, you have three Jews and four opinions on, on what Judaism is, and, and, and that is not healthy for a religion. A, a, coherent, a coherent vision is really what's the healthiest part of a the healthiest thing that you could do for any for any movement is a coherent vision. Now, now problem number two we have, and uh, let's let's just move on to problem number two. Problem number two we have is that our Jewish organizations that are there to protect us, and I use that in quotation marks because it's not really true, but but the Jewish organizations that are allegedly there to protect us don't. They don't, and there's various reasons why they don't. I mean, they give good lip service. Uh, you know, anytime there's an attack on Jews, you know, the uh, the ADL will get up and 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 and, and, and pontificate on how horrible it is, and uh, and and you might hear from uh, you might hear from some of the other organizations that get up and they pontificate, and they stand on their soapboxes screaming that this is this is this is terrible, this is unbelievable, and something must be done. But they never do anything to change the situation. So so. You have to look at the situation and ask you and ask yourself, why don't they do anything to change the situation? And the answer to that question is quite simple, because it's not in their best interest. Where would the Anti-Defamation League be? And they broke off from B'nai B'rith years ago, but where would they be if there was no Jew hatred? So if we solved the problem of Jew hatred tomorrow, and Jew hatred did not exist anymore in North America, what would happen to the ADL? Well, they would, they would, they would dry up and die. And the reason they would drop and die is because their entire funding campaign, their entire funding, all the money they make, everything that they do is based on the fact that there are haters out there attacking Jews. We count the amount of attacks on Jews. We, we condemn them. We, we fight for the rights of Jewish people everywhere. This is what they'll tell you. And of course they do because it brings them more money. So, so we've become a very capitalistic uh, religion. We've become a very capitalistic people where we, 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 on one hand, condemn attacks on our, on our nation and our people and our brethren, and on the other hand, hope that it continues because it's good for business. I remember, I remember years ago, 
years ago, I had a conversation with uh, with with one of the people running one of these one of these advocacy organizations, and I, I used the term advocacy in, in quotation marks. And and what they what did, what these people had done is that uh, they decided that they were going to go and uh, and when when the Israeli government decided they were not going to negotiate with uh, with with the Arabs in Israel. This group sent a delegation of Jewish people to go to Ramallah to sit with Yasser Arafat. Now, what a delegation of North American Jews could possibly accomplish uh, when the Israeli government can't accomplish anything is beyond the scope of my understanding. Uh, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not that well versed in 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 hypocrisy, and I'm not that well versed in uh, in, in this kind of uh, this kind of idiocy. It just doesn't work for me. But I I take a look at this, and I, I met with one of the guys, the chairman of the group that went to meet with Arafat. They sat in Arafat's office. They hugged him. They shook his hand. They had coffee with him. They had, uh, they had little biscuits with him. It was a very nice uh, get-together, a nice little tea time they had with him. And uh, I, I asked the guy. I, I asked him two questions. He was on my show years ago, and I asked him two questions. First question I asked him is, why did you do this? What, what was the purpose of your trip? And so once again, out comes the soapbox. He steps up onto the soapbox and he, he starts he starts telling me that you know, for years the Jews have been oppressing the Palestinians, and for years uh, we've sat by and we've watched, and it became it became quite evident that the Israeli government wasn't interested in in negotiating a peace deal with the Palestinians. So we decided that we were going to go, and we were going to try to negotiate something. I said, who asked you to do that? Like, like, who died and made you the negotiator? And, and there was silence. And the guy says to me, uh, nobody. And I looked at him and I said to him, nobody? So, so you took it upon yourself. The Israeli government came out and said, we're, we're not negotiating anymore. There was a terror attack or there was something happened. We're not negotiating anymore. And then you took it upon yourself as a, a self-righteous person living in North America to, to, to make an appointment with Yasser Arafat, arch-terrorist Yasser Arafat, a man who has the blood of, of Jews and, and, and Americans and French people on his hands, a terrorist. You, you, made, you, made, you wanted to go and meet with him and, and thought that you could negotiate something that the Israeli government couldn't negotiate? That you would have success in coming to some kind of peace deal? That the Americans, the, the, the British, the French, the entire world, and the Israelis couldn't do? But you, uh, the president, the volunteer president of whatever organization that you're president of, are able to do it because you're American? Isn't that laughable? I said, what did you accomplish? That was my second question. I only had two questions. There, was, there wasn't much more I could possibly ask this moron. I only, had two other, I only had two questions. I asked him the second question. I said, what did you accomplish? He said, oh, well, uh, after a long talk with Mr. Arafat, he decided that, uh, that, that he was going to go back to the negotiating table with, uh, with, with the Israelis. So, so we accomplished that. And I looked at the guy. He was sitting right across the table from me. And I looked at him, and I had this dumbfounded look on my face. And you can't even respond 
I mean, there's no words that you could say that could respond to a moronic statement like that. I said to him, all right, thanks for coming in. I, I sent him away. I, there, there was nothing else I wanted to ask him. The man disgusted me. So when we debase ourselves, uh, because we want to feel self-important, so we debase ourselves to feel self-important, and we rely on these Jewish organizations that don't really care about the community and only care about about self 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 enlargement, self aggrandization, uh, you know, self-importance. Then 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 we we have a big problem. We have we have a huge problem. Now, now, I know many people are going to disagree with what I'm saying here. I know many people are going to think I'm being pretty harsh on these organizations. Many people are going to say, Howie, what are you, crazy? The ADL has done great work in the United States. They've, they fought Farrakhan. They fought this guy. They fought that guy. They've done great work. But, but if you think about it and, and just sit back and, and remove yourself from the emotions of, uh, of Jew hatred and just look at it from an outside perspective, you'll realize that the only reason these organizations exist is because the Jew hatred exists. And if Jew hatred ex- disappeared tomorrow, so would these organizations. There'd be no reason for them. They would vanish. And so it's in their best interest to speak out loudly about Jew hatred. But, but also it's, it's in their best interest not to encourage the total eradication of it. I know it's scary. It's sad. It's, 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 it's unbelievable to think about that. But, but if you think about it logically, that, that's, that's really where we stand. And you're going to call me a, you could call me a cynical. You could do that. That's fine. I am a cynical. So, so I, I don't get offended. But that's the way I see it. Uh, you might see it differently. And give me a call if you do. 301-768-4841 in North America. 0265-00151 in Israel. Uh, you can find the numbers at the top of the page at israelnewstalkradio.com. Feel free to call in. Let's talk about this. Uh, were you ever involved in one of these organizations? Maybe you were, and maybe uh, maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't agree with me. That's fine. Uh, let's talk. Give me a call. Numbers on the top of the page at israelnewstalkradio.com. So that's, that's number two. Number three. We're, we'll look at number three. The third reason that Jews are always a target is that we have this, this appearance that we are a weak race, that we are weak people. When we give off this, this, this aura of weakness, we, we don't give off an aura that we're, that we're strong and, and, and mighty Jews. We give off this aura that we're weak, pipsqueak Jews. And, and, and this is a problem, uh, much like in the Middle East. And, and it's amazing how a lot of people, there are many, many people out there who don't understand Middle Eastern mentality. But much like the Middle East... If you don't show that you're mighty, then you're weak. And if you're weak, then you're a target. And if, you, if you're weak, then, then stronger armies are going to take you over. This is it. I mean, you know, the mentality is like that. If I come and hit you and you, you don't hit me back hard, then I'm going to hit you again. And if you don't hit me back harder, then I'm going to hit you again and again and again. And so when, when strong Jews get up in a community, they are usually called lunatics. Think about that for a second as we go to break. I'm Howie Silberger. This is Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. We'll be back just after.
ملك روحيتنا I'm Howie Silberger, your political hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. Feel free to call in. Numbers to call 301-768-4841 in North America. In Israel, the number is 0265-00151. Jews are being attacked on the streets of, uh, of North America and in streets of New York in particular. And, uh, and it's unbelievable that this is happening. It's unbelievable that, uh, that, there is, that, that there's, nobody, there's nobody fighting back. That that people who are being attacked are incapable of fighting back, and 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 this it's it's almost self destructive. So so, the next point I wanted to make was that uh, we 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 are living in a time, we are living in a time where where the signal is clear, that we are no longer welcome in North America. The signal is kind of clear, that uh, when when we're being beaten in the streets of of of, of major cities, major cities with large Jewish populations. There, there seems to be a clear message that Jews are no longer welcome. When, when the government doesn't get up and make a clear statement saying, hey, uh, this has to stop and we're going to send our police force out and we're going to protect the Jews at all costs, when that doesn't happen, it's a clear statement that, that the Jews, maybe our welcome has, we have outlived our welcome in, in these cities. So if you're living in a place where, where you're obviously not wanted, if you're living in a place where you're obviously not liked, why are we not teaching our population how to defend themselves? Why is it that whenever a strong Jew gets up to, to defend the Jewish people, uh, you think about people like uh, Rabbi Meir Kahana, think about people like Irv Rubin of the Jewish Defense League, think about, think about, uh, think about other Jews who have stood up to, to fight and to defend the Jewish people. And to put their bodies first, and to put themselves before, to put themselves in the front, and put their people before themselves, and put themselves on the front lines to fight against Jew haters. Why are these people considered radicals and crazies? Why, why is it that that any time anybody gets up and to strenuously defend the Jewish people, to stand on, on, on principle and, and values and Torah values and principle? They're, they're, they're regarded as nuts and, 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 and lunatics and, and crazies. They're thrown into jail and they're banned from running for office. They're called racists and, and any other horrific, uh, horrific slur that you could throw at them. Well, why is that? Is, it that is, is there any advantage to, to Jews coming across as weak? Is there any advantage to Jews coming across as not strong people? Uh, when you send your kid to school, and, and a bully comes and, and starts bullying your kid. And the school's not doing much to stop it. And that happens occasionally where a kid gets bullied and the school does very little to stop it. Uh, what is your advice to, the, to your child? Is your advice to stand there and just take the beating? Or is your advice saying, if he hits you, hit him back harder? If you hit him back harder, he might not hit you again. Because he might be afraid that you know, if he hits you harder, you're going to hit him back even harder than that. Most people would say that if it's my child who's being beaten in the schoolyard, and the school's not doing anything to stop it, or even if the school is doing something to stop it, if it's my child, I will tell my child, if you get hit, 
by a bully in the schoolyard hit the bully back harder than the bully hit you. Normally, when a bully gets hit back harder, they stop hitting because nobody wants to get hurt. So a bully doesn't want to get beaten up, so he looks for the weakest link. So when, when, when you don't hit back and when you don't fight back and when you don't argue back and when you just sit back and, or, or run or hide, the bullies are going to keep coming after you. Remember years ago, we were um, years ago when there was a, some kind of incident that happened in, in any North American city. The federations of that city, the, 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 the official Jewish community, as they like to call themselves, would, would organize a, a solidarity rally. It's always a solidarity rally. Now, these rallies weren't much, but they were solidarity. We, we must stand in solidarity with the people who were attacked. We must stand in solidarity with the restaurant that was firebombed. We must stand in solidarity with the man who was beaten up on the subway. We must stand in solidarity. Solidarity, solidarity. That was their big word. Okay, fine. So, solidarity rally. Where were they held? In heavily guarded Jewish buildings. Well, one second, one second. Oh, what? What? I don't get it. Uh, I didn't get it then. I don't get it now. If I'm attacked on the street corner in, in the middle of downtown, whatever it's whatever city I'm in, somebody comes and attacks me on that street corner and does something vile to me on that street corner, and my community wants to stand up in solidarity with me, wouldn't it make more sense for them to stand on that street corner, stand in the street, and 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 and, and take back the street, take back the power of being in the street? What message are you sending the haters, the people who beat me up, the people who attacked? What message are you sending them when you have a solidarity rally in a heavily armed building, in a heavily defended building? The message you're sending is that we're scared and we're going to stand in solidarity, but we're going to stand in solidarity behind our armed guards. So is that really standing in solidarity? Is that really saying that we're flexing our freedom? Let me tell you about Rutgers University in Ontario, Ontario, Canada. So Rutgers University in Ontario, Canada, has one of the highest population of uh, Arab, Arab students in any, any university in Canada. Aside from Concordia University in Montreal, which has the highest population of Arab students, Rutgers has pretty much second highest. So there was a, uh, there's an organization on campus in Rutgers, at Rutgers, that called Hillel. Uh, it's, it's, it's a universal organization. They're, they're in all university campuses. They're the Jewish organization, mostly the party organization on campus in uh, in. In, in all universities across the world. So the Hillel at Rutgers has an office, uh, like, like most universities, they have an office, and, and their office uh, is the place where all Hillel events happen. So while the Chinese Student Association and the Arab Student Association and the Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights Organization and the, um, the Kite Club have events all over campus, and they rent space on campus, and they do stuff on campus, Hillel does stuff only in their office. Why? Why do you think they do stuff only in their office? Because they learned their lesson. This is what I was told by one of the presidents of Hillel. When I asked the question, this is what she told me. We learned our lesson. We had a speaker come. We rented a room. We had the speaker come into the room. They were going to talk about... Uh, Israel advocacy or some kind of advocacy and uh, a whole lot of Arabs showed up and they shut it down the speaker and they ruined our event and then we had a we had a we had a barbecue a welcome barbecue to the Jewish students it was on the lawn of 
uh, of Rutgers. We we rented the space and we 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 had the arrangements and security was there and everything. We had arranged everything. And Arabs came, the Arab students came and they knocked over our barbecue and they ruined the event. So we learned our lesson. So now we have all our events in the office. Nobody bothers us. We lock the door. Uh, people come in, we lock the door, and that's it. And we do everything in the office. We hide in our hovel. Is that the way to do it? Is that really the way to show that you're strong? Okay, so you don't want to get into a confrontation. Fine. You don't want to be beaten up. Fine. If we taught every child throughout high school and throughout elementary school, if we taught every child in North America, if we taught them martial arts, Every Jewish child learned martial arts in school. It was a mandatory course. If we did that, then when they got to university, would they not be able to defend themselves when, when, when disruptors come to try to ruin the event? Would they not be able to, to, to argue the point or, or fight with them or, or at least move them away from the event, defend themselves? Now, not everybody wants to be violent, and I get it. And not everybody has to be violent. But you should have the minimum, the minimum uh, skill to defend yourself so that when you're running down the street in Williamsburg and two kids are chasing you, and they looked in, in the video, they looked to be 10 or 11 years old, that you're not scared out of your mind running, uh, running down the street, that you could stop and you could confront them. And you could say, get out of my face and stand up for yourself. The second we start doing that, the Jew haters will back off. I mean, it won't stop hating Jews. Some Jews have been hated for years, for, for centuries, for millenniums. But they'll back off. At least the imminent threat, the threat that's right in front of you, will back off. We have to start defending ourselves. We have to start defending our people. And we have to stop putting down the strong Jews that get up. We've we got to stop doing that. A couple of years ago, on a major university campus, there was a, 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 an Arab event uh, calling Israel an apartheid state and a genocidal state. So, so it was an apartheid state and a genocidal state. You see, hand in hand, two wonderful things. And, and it was an Arab panel talking about how uh, Israel's performing genocide against the, against the Arabs living in, uh, in Israel and how Israel is, is, is treating the Arabs like a apartheid state. So Israel are Nazis and they're, they're, and they're apartheid. Uh, it seems like you know the propaganda machine was working overtime, trying to find every nasty thing you could call the Israelis at that point. So, the uh, the event was going on on the university campus because that's the only place you could hold these kind of events where you're not going to get shut down. And um, two Jewish boys, two young Jewish boys, decided that they were going to stop the event. They were going to at least disrupt it. I mean, you can't stop it, but they could disrupt it. And to protest, everybody has the right to protest, right? I mean, people can walk down the streets banging pots. People can walk down into downtown cities and burn buildings down. You have the right to protest. It was proven in the last few years that, you know, protest, you can do whatever you want, right? So these two boys went into uh, this, this university, draped in Israeli flags. They walked into the room where this event was happening. And they were singing, Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel live. And they walked up to the front of the uh, to the podium, just singing, singing the song. And they stood in front of the podium, and they wrote, and they were screaming, "Long live Israel! Long live Israel!" The event stopped, of course, because the disruptors came in. The event stopped, and 
<clears throat> the organizers of the event came and they started screaming at these guys, you got to get out, it's not fair, you're breaking out, you're, you're ruining our event. And they kept just chanting, they stood there chanting. Like strong activists will do. Security was called, security came running in and told these two guys they have to, told these two guys they have to leave. Well, unfortunately for security, these two guys were members of, well, they, they, they were students, so they paid to the student union, which made them members of all the clubs of the student union. And since this was a club event, they couldn't be removed because they, they, they partially paid for it. They, they, they were students. They paid their union dues. So they were told they could sit in the audience, they could watch the event, but they, they can't disrupt it. So the two guys went and they sat down and they watched the event. And, and occasionally when they said something really nasty, the two boys draped in their Israeli flags. They never took off those Israeli flags. Would scream out, lies, lies, lies. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying. It was more effective for them to be sitting in the audience and screaming the, and, and disrupting the event than it was for them to come in chanting. They should just come in and sat down and done that. But, but anyway, you live and learn. Security came to them and said to them, you have to leave. You're, you're disrupting the event. You can't be here. You got to go. And the two guys got up and they, they voluntarily left. Because they weren't there to cause a confrontation. They were there to, to, to make their point, disrupt the event, and, and leave. So they got up and they left. Every Jewish organization on that university campus and every major Jewish organization in that city condemned these two boys for their actions at this event. This is not the way we behave. This is not acceptable. If we don't want them, to, if we don't want the Arabs to break up our events and to disrupt our events, then we can't be disrupting theirs. Wow. Really? Really? So, so two guys who loved Israel, and, and this is what you teach them in school, this is what you teach them in Jewish schools, love Israel. And this is what you teach them to, you know, Israel became the new Judaism in North America. So love yourself, love Israel, Israel's your identity. Two guys who felt their identity was being attacked went to defend themselves and were condemned by their own people. It's, it's, I know it's mind-blowing when you think about it. It's, it's completely mind-blowing. How does something like that happen? So I decided to investigate because that's what I do. So I called up two of the people who condemned these guys, viciously condemned these guys, vigorously. And I invited them onto my radio show, not this show, I have one of my other shows. And I asked them, you run a Jewish organization on campus and your organization is on multiple campuses, so, so it's, 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 it's a pretty big organization. And you condemn these two guys from, these two guys who just went to defend Israel at an event that was calling Israel Israelis Nazis and uh, and and apartheid people, uh, how do you justify doing that? How, how could you condemn them? You should have been praising these guys. You should have been you should have been celebrating that somebody had the nerve to get up and and finally say something. That somebody had the nerve to get up and and disrupt them. I mean, they come and they disrupt uh, you know the 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 pro Palestinian propagandists get up and they disrupt Jewish events on campus all the time. And, and you don't condemn them either, but, but you condemn these boys. You never condemn the, the Arabs when they disrupt your events. You just kind of stop the event and that's it. It's over. But you're condemning the Jewish boys for disrupting the Arab event. I'm, I'm trying to understand why. 
And the guy looked at me and said to me, because that's not the way Jews behave. We, 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 are, we are a people of negotiation. We are people of love. And we are people of inclusion. And when we, when we, uh, when we have a problem with something that, uh, that, they're, that the other people are doing, that other clubs are doing, we file a written complaint. And then we have a discussion about it. And, and, and we make an agreement that they will never do that again. We do not disrupt their events. I looked at him and I said, ah, I understand. I, I suppose that's why the Hillel at Rutgers University does all their events in their office. So, as long as we're not willing to defend ourselves, as long as we're not willing to fight back, as long as we're not willing to, to, to step out of our comfort zone and to make other people uncomfortable, as I do on the show, I make other people uncomfortable. That's fine. As long as we're not willing to do that, then we're always in imminent danger. So what's the solution? Where, where do we go from here? How, how, how do we solve this problem? I mean, I, I could go on and on and on about this. I mean, there, there's hundreds of other examples and hundreds of other points I can make. But, but, but the, the truth is that you know, we could talk about this until we're blue in the face and nothing's going to change. So how do we make a concrete change? What do we do? To change things. Well, there's a couple of choices. And, and, and it all depends on what your end goal is. So, choice number one, we could, always, uh, we could always pack up and move to Israel. We could always say, all right, life for American Jews, life for Jews in diaspora is over. Israel exists. It's time to go. And we could get up and we could leave and we could go to Israel. That's something we could do, no problem. And Israel, Israel has the right to return. You're Jewish. You could go to Israel anytime. And as things get worse and worse in America, Jews are being attacked in the middle of the streets now. It might be time to consider uh, leaving. It might be time to consider going back to Israel, going to a country that you'll be accepted with, uh, with open arms, going to a country where, where, where you can live among Jews and you can could, you could live among your own people. You can live in your own homeland. Now, many people have told me that, uh, that they're afraid to go to Israel because of terrorism. And because because they, they want to get caught in a terror attack. Unfortunately, terror attacks happen in Israel. Rockets get launched into the country. There's, Israel is surrounded by people who, who don't like Israel. But the danger of living in Israel is magnified 300,000%. By a uh, biased media, by a biased North American media. If you believe everything you see on television and you believe everything you hear and everything you read, you you should be afraid to go out on the street. You should be able be afraid to cross the road. Because more people die of car accidents than die of terrorism uh, it, anywhere. So I, I that should not be a factor into your decision making. But putting that aside, if you decide that you want to stay in North America, you have to take some concrete action. And taking concrete action doesn't mean building fortresses, doesn't mean spending tens of millions of dollars on security and building walls and moats and, uh, and, and having snipers on the roof and, uh, and armored buses. That's not, that's not what you should be doing. Concrete action means that Jews should be standing up for themselves, that we should be designing 
uh, we should be we should be raising our children to be able to defend themselves. We should be raising our young to be able to defend Israel both politically on campus with, with political arguments, you know, fighting back and forth politically, and physically. We should be able to we 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 should be we should be uh, we should be unified, meaning that we should have one vision as a people, and that vision is the survival of the Jewish people. That should be our vision. And we should hold to that vision and and be uncompromising in that vision. An attack on one Jew in New York is an attack on all Jews everywhere. And until we're unified on that, we're always going to have these problems. And, And that is the scariest point that I'm making today. If we can't be unified, we'll always be the victims in a country where we don't have control. We're not real. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 